meetings about this back in the 1960s to see who would be given this particular task. And the Royal Institute of International Affairs and CFR decided that the U.S. was best suited for the purpose. Now we're going through the big jump of economics we were supposed to be trained into serving a world state. And this article I'm about to read is really the lead-up to this. They're not using the term service in this article, but it's not all the other big books that is written by the participants in this particular meeting that took part, uh, place, I think, in, in um, France. Back with more after this break. This is the next part of the system I'm talking about, they're going into. 
European leaders will meet in Berlin before the G20 summit in London to decide a common approach as global leaders gear up for a second meeting on the global financial crisis, Sarkozy said. So, global leaders. See, you don't have national leaders anymore. You have global leaders gear up for a second meeting on the global financial crisis, Sarkozy said. Measures will be taken at the G20 meeting in London on April the 2nd, Sarkozy promised, saying we cannot accept the status quo. He called for closer cooperation on economic policy. Now, closer cooperation is one of the terms they use when they were integrating Europe. Closer ties is another one you'll see in newspapers. That means they're integrating the system even further. So they're, they're totally integrating the economic policy for the world. He says, we should discuss how each of us is managing his currency and his interest rates. The leaders of France and Germany have differed in the past over how much government support Europe's economy needs. Merkel deplored huge debts that governments are accumulating to spend their way out of the present crisis, but she said she recognized for the moment there is no other possibility. Leaders should look beyond financial markets. She said singling out the American budget deficit and China's current account surplus or trade balance as problems upsetting the global economy. A Congressional Budget Office report estimates the U.S. federal budget deficit will hit an unparalleled $1.2 trillion for the 2009 budget year. It'll be more than that. And that is before President-elect Barack Obama's sweeping stimulus package is calculated. You'll have bailout two. We're going to get a series of these dramas, bailout one, two, three, etc., as they go along. European governments have agreed to be flexible about budget rules that limit deficits to 3% of gross domestic product as recession bites. Merkel is planning an extra stimulus of up to Euro 50 billion, 50 billion Euro, 70 billion dollars. And Sarkozy said Thursday that he's considering an additional or additional measures. What they're doing, you see, when they have the countries amalgamated, the European Union, is that it doesn't matter what country is going down, all the other countries, all the taxpayers in other countries have got to bail them out. And it's going to be the same with America and Canada and Mexico and, and whoever else they bring in, Chile probably. French Finance Minister Christine Lagarde said Thursday that Paris is planning to inject a second tranche of Euro 10.5 billion into some of the nation's largest banks in an effort to spur lending. Are we bribing the, the banks to spur lending? They bribe them now to spur lending. What a con, eh? Merkel said the International Monetary Fund has not managed to regulate global capitalism, and she called for the creation of an economy body, an economy body, I guess she means economic body, at the United Nations. It's funny how the United Nations is always going to be our savior, isn't it? Similar to the Security Council to judge government policy. So all financial policy for every country is to be governed from the United Nations. Speaking at the conference, European Competition Commissioner Neely Croes said global rules on government aid to companies would be helpful. Global rules. A closer network of competition systems is slowly emerging after decades of work. Sarkozy blamed financial speculators for encouraging a system fueled on debt. It's funny how they've just noticed that the whole system has been run by speculators and debt, isn't it? They've just noticed this after all these centuries. It's astounding. I guess that's why we pay them so much money, because they're so brilliant, these people. 
He called financial capitalism based on speculation an immoral system that has perverted the logic of capitalism. What is the logic of capitalism? What is it? It's a system where wealth goes to the wealthy, where work is devalued, where production is devalued, where entrepreneurial spirit is devalued, he said. That's a blend of, of the old capitalism and communism together. But no more in the capitalism of the 21st century, there is room for the state, he said, government. So government is going to be totally involved, as it's been set up to be for a long time. These guys have been working hard for this, for long before we were born, to bring in the system. Government will be in bed, working, and directing all the financial systems and businesses. It really is that way already, isn't it? Because all the politicians have been CEOs of companies and their lawyers and so on, and they ping-pong back and forth between government, working as government agents or employees, back into CEO of companies. This ties in with Professor Carl Quigley said in Tragedy and Hope, and his big book, The Anglo-American Establishment, he said that the future will be run in a feudal system, with the new feudal overlords being the CEOs of corporations. It's already happened. For those who are indoctrinated in their tunnels, and I mean this sincerely because people are indoctrinated into tunnels, you have left-wing tunnels and right-wing tunnels. And the left-wing tunnel sees the other group as the fascists. And in a sense, they're right. Where money and government is coupled together. But they're also wrong because they don't realize that the fascist states created the communism. It's antithesis. The Hegelian dialectic to bring this global system in. You can only bring it in through conflict, and that's what they've been doing. Blair called for a new financial order based on values other than the maximum short-term profit. The greatest entrepreneur I had the chance to meet was passionate about what he had created, not what he had accumulated. He said it doesn't say who this was, though. It doesn't say who it was. But I'm going to jump from this article to the Wise Up Journal because he has the same article here. Uh, but at the bottom, he's got related to this article. He's, he's, he's written a little blurb here. He said, although what was practiced over the last few decades was not capitalism but legalized fraud and semi-communist monopolism, the final goal for dominant minority has been a global communist capitalist monopolism blend which their political puppets are now openly calling for. And he's got an interview with uh, Norman Dodd, I've talked about him before, who went forward uh, with the Rees Commission. And this interview, you can actually see the interview on, I guess he's got a link to YouTube or somewhere. And it says here, Norman Dodd and G. Edward Griffin took place in 1982. This interview, Norman Dodd headed the House of Special Committee, Rees Investigator Committee, an, interview, an investigative committee of the United States House of Representatives. The committee investigated tax-exempt foundations and comparable organizations. Norman Dodd explains the committee's findings that tax-exempt foundations are merging communism and socialism and capitalism together within the USA, the final stage of what the least desire. And uh, you can actually see uh, this video in the link I'll put at the end of the show on my site, on the website. But that's what you have. You have 
you have just a phase going through. And I knew this would come. Years ago, they'd bring this phase in. And it's not the final phase. As I say, they've got to eventually give you what Bertrand Russell wrote about. And he was privy to all this information, being a part of the big think tanks and debating groups that worked on it. He said eventually money will be used uh, basically as a social control tool where governments will give out credits to everyone. You, won't, you might work for a company or a, or a factory or whatever it is, but you'll actually be paid by the government. And if you don't obey your government, they'll cut you off as punishment. I'll be back with more after the following break. through the matrix trying to point out to people how the things really are as opposed to how they seem to appear how they're propagated to the public by the mainstream media what they know at the top is that most of the people today are so damaged and so well indoctrinated scientifically indoctrinated uh, that they drift through life uh, and pretty well ignoring uh, things that are happening uh, to them they adapt and adapt and adapt instinctively without really thinking through things. They adapt to inflation. They adapt to high taxation. They adapt to government rules. They adapt to men in black uniforms with machine guns. They adapt, adapt, adapt. But they never really think through things in any real depth at all. And this is abnormal behavior. It's abnormal. We're all born with the capability of of self-preservation and being aware of your surroundings is essential to self-preservation. You're looking at the damage caused uh, through, again, scientific indoctrination plus inoculations plus the GMO food plus the incredible mind-bombing you get from television. I've said to people before, you cannot watch television on a daily basis for entertainment and think critically at the same time. It cannot be done. It's scientifically designed to put you into a strange state, an alpha state. And it also indoctrinates you at the same time with the ideas and beliefs and opinions which the elite wants you to have. Edward Bernays was a master at this technique. He understood it all back in the 1920s. And he helps set up the big Madison Avenue companies that do the marketing and make you want things. Actually make you want certain items you never even thought of before. He changed the culture to a great extent in America too. In various ways. These are sciences known to certain people who are taught, I'm sure, from archives of very old information. And all the experimentation that's going on, and I, I watched TV too when I was growing up occasionally, and I mean occasionally, and I watched the nature programs, and I kept wondering why scientists were experimenting with mice and rats and so on. Why were they so interested in learning the behavior of mice and rats? Well, of course, it had nothing to do with that. It was to do with how all species work, what they have in common. And eventually, they were going to work on man himself, physically. That's what it was all about. 
on understanding their behavior mechanisms. And here's an article from a university in the U.S. It's from whyfiles.org. She's not really a monkey. It's when she studied the effects of severe maternal deprivation under pioneering psychologist Harry Harlow, neuroscientist Mary Carlson probably never expected to see similar deprivation in human children, especially thousands of them. I'm reading this article to show you uh, that the big boys in all their writings said they'd have to eventually destroy the family unit. That was, that was a prime concern to them. And they've been pretty successful at that. They did it also by promoting promiscuity. And out of the promiscuity, they says, my God, we've got all these unwanted children, and we'll, bring, we'll give you abortions, etc., which also dehumanizes further to the loss of human life. We start treating human life itself as just another animal. They've been very successful with this, because that's how it's accepted now by an awful lot of people. But here's what they knew back then. It says, deprivation in human children, especially thousands of them. Harlow's name is bonded to experiments that might be questionable today. For example, he separated a baby monkey from its mother. We've all heard about that one. And raised it in a cage with two substitute mothers. The wire monkey had a bottle for the infant. The cloth one didn't. Tellingly, as soon as the infants finished nursing, they abandoned the wire monkey and clutched the cloth one. But even though the experiment demonstrated the primacy of nurture to sustenance, the cloth mother was not an adequate replacement. The isolated monkeys grew up with severe emotional and behavioral problems, says Carlson, associate professor of neuroscience and psychology at Harvard Medical School. Even when raised in cages where they could see, smell and hear, but not touch other monkeys, the infants developed what she called an autistic-like syndrome with grooming self-clasping, social withdrawal, and rocking. They rock back and forward in their chairs. The theme of Harlow's work, she says, is that you are not really a monkey unless you were raised in an interactive monkey environment. In other words, same with humans. You see, this is, the, this is what they're really getting at. Same with humans. If you deprive them of affection and basically the parents, you'll end up with problems. And we certainly do have problems. Many children who go through these um, orphanages, orphanage systems, end up with massive problems, and a lot of an awful lot of abuse goes on in them too. Always, it's always been the same. It says here, Carson says Harlow's demonstration of the power of social deprivation directed my career. After a long period mapping nerve connections between the hand and the brain, she now studies the impact of abuse and isolation on the HPA, which is a hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, and the powerful stress hormone cortisol made by the HPA. We've already described how much touch modifies this important stress system in rats, she says, and I continue this as she goes on to the humans to see what happens to them. Back in a moment after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth.
studying trigonometrics and I'm reading an article from a professor of neuroscience talking about how her career was directed by studying deprivation of animals and eventually led her to study deprivation and the effects on children. It says here, Carlson says, Harlow's demonstrations of the power of social deprivation directed my career. After a long period mapping nerve connections between the hand and the brain, she now studies the impact of abuse and isolation on the HPA, hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. It says here, We've already described how touch modifies this important stress system in rats. Children show similar effects. A child vaccinated while sitting on a mother's lap has a relatively low rise in cortisol. And it says, by the way, cortisol is usually measured in saliva, such as drooling. Actually, swabs of the mouth provides plenty of samples, so there's no need to jab. And she says, kids. Now, kids is psycholinguistic for an animal. It's a young goat. And that, was, that came from Lenin. Uh, anyway, she says here for blood samples. I'm just trying to show you how they actually put in and alter words, which alter impressions of even people, young children. In the orphanage, says if Harlow's monkey experiments might be considered cruel today, what can we say about the human deprivation experiment in Romanian orphanages? Carlson said she found the whole affair pretty shocking. We thought the whole world knew that institutional care was insufficient to maintain the social capacity of the human baby. But not in Romania, where the long-time communist dictator Nicolae Cezescu was a zealous believer in technological progress. That was, again, the socialist communist system. A man is an animal, children are young animals, and you can train them to behave in any way you want. Literally rebuild them, in fact, make them into what you want. So they, had, they were doing this with the, the children in the, these orphanages over there. Highly skeptical of all things touchy-feely, he clamped down on psychology and social work in preference to engineering and science. He favored policies to raise the birth rate and established institutions for orphans and children whose parents could not care for them. They made sure that there was a lot of them because they killed a lot of their parents off. After Suzeski was executed in the coup of 1989, the orphanages were opened to a world that saw Dickinson uh, warehouses for the unwanted. Scientific study confirmed what the untrained eye could see. The children were in the third to tenth percentile for physical growth and grossly delayed in motor and mental development, Carlson says. They rocked and grasped themselves like Harlow's monkeys and grew up with weird social values and behavior. As they aged, many of the orphans became homeless with what Carlson calls clumsy, sad, all inappropriate social interactions. To express affection, one boy might kiss another on the top of his head. Smiling and ingratiating, the youths are superficially friendly, but unable to form permanent attachments. Like characters in a gloomy sci-fi novel, many found work in the secret police. In the se so that's where they hired them from, you see the secret police, with their lack of loyalty and ability to make friends or inability to make friends were saleable traits. Saleable traits. You wonder, they understand all of this, you see. This is what I'm reading right here. It's been understood at a much higher level a long, long time ago. But that's what they hire. It's the same with hitmen. And every, every government in the world has its own hitmen. 
who go out and kill who they're told to kill without a thought. Chemical analysis showed abnormal cortisol profiles indicating a severe problem with the stress response. Carlson compared children living under improved conditions to the rest of the orphans and found their cortisol looking more normal. Another indication that the stress response can respond to conditions came from a study by Carlson of Romanian children in poor quality daycare. During the week, cortisol was abnormal, but when they returned home for the weekend, it looked more normal. Now, what they're telling you here, if you think about it, is that being away from your parents at that age is abnormal. That's what they're telling you here. Like, they don't know that, didn't know that before she came out with this study. This has always been understood. To Carlson, the issue is not simply science, but human rights. Now, here's a spin on it. Romania, like every other country except the United States and Somalia, has ratified the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child, now, anyone who's gone through the, the Convention on the Rights of the Child will see that the parents end up having no rights at all. That's what came out of it. Again, with the use of psycholinguistics, I mean, who would ever complain about a Convention on the Rights of the Child? It sounds wonderful. We're all human. We're all people. What's wrong with giving children rights? And this is, these are the kind of lovely terms they come out with that generally means the opposite in reality. We're dealing with a science at the top here. It's incredibly cunning. Anyway, it goes on to say the goal of her research, she says, is not simply to prove that neglect causes hormonal changes, like this is, a, like this is new, <laughs> but also to prevent future abuse. We felt Romania was in violation of the rights of the child. We thought maybe a molecule such as cortisone would make a strong argument to people who did not find the behavior compelling enough. Indeed, things have begun looking up in Romania. The new president established a children's office and declared the intention to close the orphanages. Workers in the orphanage she studied have started cuddling the children and trying to teach colleagues about children's emotional needs. If they're using the same workers, I think they should start working on them first because obviously how could they work for years depriving children of natural emotion? The contact between... But there again, they were not the parents, and they were far removed from the parents. They were, they were really uh, state workers in a communist system where really emotion was an antiquated uh, thing that was unnecessary, a vestige from a previous age. The reason I'm talking about this again is, is because, you see, these techniques are used on society. There's many ways to use the same technique on people. I've read articles from other scientists who say that even daycare is a horror to throw children into. It's a horror show. They're away from their parents. I don't care what kind of teacher you have. Your teacher is never your mother. And then you're into a peer group where you'll have dominant types and aggressive types, etc. And there's all kinds of mayhem can, can occur in those places. But, of course, the reason we have all the daycare is because it's essential that everyone gets the same initial indoctrination. That's mandatory now with the New World Order. They've even trained mothers in one single generation that the government bringing up your children in daycare is quite normal. So much so that in Canada, when daycare workers went on strike, the mothers were in the streets with placards 
demanding the government take care of their children. You know, only 20, 30 years before that, it was the opposite. People would object if the, the, the state was involved in the raising of your child. But that's how fast people adapt. So they think that it's the state's duty to take care of their children for them. This is really scientific socialism, the kind they talked about in the Fabian Society. Really astonishing. Now, I think, I don't put any colors up here, I can't see any on my site here, but if Sylvan is there, if he's still there or not, um, let's see if he's there. Okay, Sylvan from British Columbia is still there. Hello, Sylvan. Hello. Are the callers there? Is the board man there? No, can't get the callers. So, I don't think anyone is, anybody's home here. Here's another article I wanted to read, and it is from, I think, a, a ministry, some Christian ministry somewhere. And that should matter, but it's a content I'm looking at here, which is interesting. It's by Barrett Kios, K-J-O-S. I don't know anything about this particular ministry. All I know is that the, whoever did this, this, these articles, did their work on mind control and socialism that's coming in. The United Nations has been going on and on and on about the need for mental health worldwide. Not to deal with what we used to think of as those who were schizophrenic, but literally to go into the minds of everyone and give us all tests, children right up to adults, pretty frequently too, to make sure that we've got right think. Right think. Right think was shown by George Orwell in 1984 as adapting to whatever the government tells you to. Whatever is normal today might be abnormal tomorrow, and you must adjust right away to the new think. Literally, that is the Soviet system. And this article says, the UN planned for your mental health. It says, we believe that mental health is just as important as physical health, maybe even more, as Donna Shalila, former Secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services. Mental health refers to how a person thinks, feels, and acts when faced with life situations. That's from the National Mental Health Services Knowledge Exchange Network. That link is now obsolete. It's still here, though. The challenge to humanity is to adopt new ways of thinking, new ways of acting, new ways of organizing itself in society. In short, new ways of living. That's from our creative diversity, I think, page 20, from the UNESCO report, United Nations one. United Nations UNESCO was set up to bring in a global culture by bypassing adults and going straight for the minds of the young. This article says, don't be deceived by nice-sounding labels such as healthy start, healthy people, healthy families, healthy communities, and healthy cities. These and other local campaigns for public and mental health follow a global blueprint. They all fit into a worldwide system of health management and surveillance led by the World Health Organization, a United Nations special agency that equates faith with hate and truth with intolerance. The goal is conditioning the masses to willingly conform to new universal values, environmental guidelines, and a global management system. This was actually written in 1999, by the way. So this person did know the agenda. Who wrote this? 
Dr. David Satcher, U.S. Surgeon General and Assistant Secretary for Health, gave a progress report to the National Healthy People Consortium in November 1998. He says, we have a clear blueprint in place. Currently, 47 states are actively involved in Healthy People 2000, and Healthy City and Healthy Community initiatives are being pursued throughout the country. Hundreds of national organizations have reviewed the year 2000 objectives and have adopted them as their own. They've gone past that now. They're into the Agenda 21. Dr. Satcher then drew the connection between Healthy Start, Healthy People, Mental Health, and the World Health Organization. This is what he said. Every child should be given the opportunity for a healthy start. No priority yet has generated as much interest and enthusiasm as this one on mental health. Our efforts will be focused on maintaining a system of global health surveillance. It's about mental health. Healthy People 2010, that's the next part, is the United States contribution to the World Health Organization's call to the nations of the world to renew their commitment to health for all. They call it this, a new way of thinking. We get a new economic order, we get everything new. He's a new way of thinking. In a 1996 speech at the National Children's Mental Health Initiative, Children's Mental Health Initiative, Donna Shalila, Secretary of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, said, from fully immunizing children by age two to stopping domestic violence, we're working to improve the lives of young people from the cradle to young adulthood. And a strong part of our vision is the mental health of children. We believe that mental health is just as important as physical health, maybe even more so. As head of the DHHS, Shalila helped organize the National Mental Health Services Knowledge Exchange Work. Ponder its definition for mental health. It says here, mental health refers to how a person thinks, feels, and acts when faced with life's problems and situations. It's how people look at themselves, their lives, and other people in their lives and explore choices. So they want to make sure that you all do all the, make all the right choices after they've conditioned you. Do you wonder what Dr. Shalila and her network of health planners would consider good thinking or bad thinking? This definition doesn't tell us. How do they want people to look at themselves or explore choices? The answer is clear when you study UNESCO's psychosocial strategies for conforming the minds of our children to its anti-Christian worldview. Well, there's no doubt about that because Julian Huxley said that they'd have to destroy Christianity totally. But without background information, these ambiguous open-ended phrases hide the true intentions. However, Dr. Shalala and other self-proclaimed change agents, and that's what they do call themselves as change agents, do tell us that the old ways a person thinks, feels, and acts must change. See, in the communist system, they called it contaminated. These were the terms used in the communist system. You were contaminated if you had the ideas from the old system, contamination, and therefore they'd have to separate the, the children from the parents, they said, as early as possible to, to make sure the children were not contaminated with old ideologies and ideas of family and, and community and country and so on. It says here, they don't fit the new global ideology or the consensus process. See, everything has to be consensus. Everything, under the guise of tolerance for all, the people who run this world are the most intolerant of anything that's ever existed because you must be in consensus with everyone else. According to Professor Benjamin Bloom, called the father of OBE, outcome-based education, 
the new purpose of education and the schools is to change the thoughts, feelings, and actions of students. To change the th- not to educate you and help you in your way, but to change the thoughts, your feelings, and actions of students. So it's not surprising that UNESCO's Commission on Culture and Development in its report, Our, Cre- Our Creative Diversity, that's a report from UNESCO, Our Creative Diversity, worth the read. He wrote that, the challenge to humanity is to adopt new ways of thinking, new ways of acting, new ways of organizing itself in society, in short, new ways of living. Referring to the management and monitoring of its education program, the Kansas State Board of Education made a similar statement. QPA, which is Quality Performance Accreditation, is a process which demands new thinking, new strategies, new behavior, and new beliefs. You see how it comes out of UNESCO and through all their networks, right through all the school systems, worldwide, the same things are implemented. That's how micro-controlled and managed everything is around us. Right down to your local town council. New beliefs and new thinking are key to the global management system. Adults as well as children must trade truth, facts, and logical thinking for myths, UN values, and the consensus process. The masses must learn to see themselves not as individuals, but as part of a greater whole, a group, a community, the planet. You see, at the United Nations, they said the greatest enemy to mankind is the individual. That is the enemy. Finally, the United Nations is nearing its goal to create a unified socialist world made up of compliant world citizens. Ready to adapt what Al Gore called a wrenching transformation of... I'm Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the matrix. Reading an article to do with the World Health Organization and all of its mental health agendas and so on to turn out good, compliant world citizens. And the last part, I was cut off there with the music. I never heard the music coming in. But um, it says, finally, the United Nations is nearing its goal to create a unified socialist world made up of compliant world citizens ready to adapt to what Al Gore called a wrenching transformation of society. And this goes on to say the World Health Organization. In 1946, the first head of the World Health Organization laid the foundation for today's mental health program, having implied that Christian parents indoctrinated their defenseless children, these are the words they used, with poisonous certainties that was straight out of the communist system that caused war and conflict. Canadian psychiatrist Brock Chisholm added, the problem is no longer the germ of diphtheria, but rather the attitudes of parents who are incapable of accepting and using proven knowledge, meaning science. Surely the training of children in home and schools should be of at least a great public concern as their vaccination. Individuals who have emotional disabilities of their own, such as guilt, fears, inferiorities, are certain to project their hates onto others. So if you have a disability or, or you're emotionally disabled in some way, of course, they'll decide if you are or not, or you feel guilty about something, or you're afraid of something, you're going to hate, you're going to hate other people, you see. Now, remember, too, this is from the same establishment that did MK Ultra and took people and children in and subjected them to LSD experiments and gave them multiple electro uh, shock therapy treatments on them to fry their brains. It's a much better way of loving you, isn't it? 
And through science, they must be loving you because they don't have any hate in them, apparently. Because on to say here, we must be prepared, prepared to sacrifice much. If it cannot be done gently, it may have to be done roughly or even violently. That's page 10 from Brock Chisholm. Half a century has passed since Dr. Chisholm called for UN controls that would abolish divisive Christian uncertainties. Today, who commands, World Health Organization commands, an international networking agency that helps nations around the world change and monitor the ways their people think, choose, and act. Called Nations for Mental Health, it links each member state to the UN agenda and promises to steer each nation toward the UN goal. And we know, of course, the UN goal is, is pushing one religion, this new earth-based religion, where the scientists are the new high priests, and they'll tell us how to act and think and feel and behave in compliance with saving the planet and worshipping Mother Earth. And, of course, the UN itself says that the only religion which they promote is the Baha'i faith, which encompasses all of this, all of it. It says here, governments will be assisted to formulate, implement, monitor, and evaluate mental health policies. This is the Soviet system, because this is what they did in the Soviet system. Governments will be assisted to formulate, implement, monitor, and evaluate mental health policies. Mental health policies should enable all individuals whose mental health is disturbed, and they'll decide if it is or not, according to what you say, or think, or feel, or believe or whose psychological balance may be compromised to obtain services adapted to their needs to promote the optimal development of the mental health of the population, the mass mental health again, which they've decided what it shall be. Well, that's it for tonight. I'm sorry I couldn't take callers, but I couldn't get anybody up on, on, the, on the show. So from Hamish myself, it's good night. From Ontario, Canada, and may your God or your gods go with you.